0: everyone. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Disaster Dads. Uh, really happy that you're able to join us. Um, again, we're quite amazed that we've lasted five episodes and that we have all of our excellent listeners. So we really appreciate that. Um, as one of our um, lovely fans let us know we're very memorable, so kind of like a fart in an elevator and you know, I'll take that. And so, uh, we want to be memorable. We want you to keep listening to us and, uh, we're glad that you're here with us. So you too can send your comments to us. Um, just visit us at disaster dads.com and comment on this episode or follow us on Twitter at disaster dads. Um, you can also send us an email at thedads dads at disaster dads.com and we'll be happy to uh, listen to your comments and, uh, You know, take the take the podcast forward from that. We've had we've had a bunch of topics talking about preparedness and we're now getting into uh, October and next week is going to be fire prevention week. Uh, It's fire prevention month, really. But, you know, the week is going to be focused on that. So we talked about that last uh, last podcast. So if you didn't listen to it, check it out. We had a great interview with uh, Deputy Chief Drake Springer from the Falls Church Volunteer Fire Department talking about some of the events that they're going to be doing. Um, so open houses are going to be coming up this weekend, uh, in your area. So be sure to check it out, uh, see what you got going. Cause it's important not only just to get a feel for, for your fire department in your area, but also to just. Uh, you know, expose your kids and expose yourself to the different sides of emergency response and emergency um, uh, preparedness efforts that are going on. Cause it's normally not just fire that's there. You've got sheriff, you've got police, you've got red cross, you've got everybody there. So this week we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. You know, we've been talking about preparedness for a lot of the episodes. Um, it was, preparedness is kind of the undertone for everything that we have going on you know as you go get in your car you're preparing for where you're going to drive to you're thinking about the different routes you have going on it's something that should be with you all the time this week we're going to be talking about uh you know preparedness to a different level uh with some of the news articles so before we really get into our news and and our topic of the week of active shooters and some of the responses i just want to share who we've got um again virtual room because of random schedules also because of a guest um i want to share who we have in the room today we've got uh, disaster dad, Joe, who's going to be kind of leading this topic on, um, our active shooters. Uh, Frank is here. We're also joined by Rob Dan. Again, my name is Eric. I am your host. And we have a special guest with us again, longtime listener. One of the first ones to join us and actually kind of help push this podcast, um, down the street and across and everywhere that it's going right now. Uh, we've got Robin who was a, uh, a former, uh, former volunteer firefighter with us long back in the day. I can't even remember how long ago at this point, Robin, but it was, a, we were a lot younger, uh, less wrinkles, more hair, uh, hair in the appropriate places, not where it is now. Um, and so, you know, we're really glad to have Fewer you. Fewer kids. If you were kids. We're happy were to have kids. you with us today, Robin. Um, you know, Robin is an emergency manager for a hospital system down in Houston. And so it's, it's, we're really excited to have them join us today, not only because it's fun to catch up with them, but also because of some recent experiences that Houston has had with some active shooters. And that's going to be our news item. If uh, most everyone remembers the uh, end of September, September 26th, there was a, an active shooter um, in the Houston area where nine people were wounded. Um, uh, Fortunately, the only fatality was the shooter. Um, But we're seeing more of these active shooter incidences across the country. Um, You know, there were, a lot of people injured, uh, only one fatality. It could have been much worse. Um, you know, but we're seeing this, uh, going back years, there were, were, um, you know, lone wolves or active shooter attacks, uh, in different parts of the country. And they've been showing up in different parts of the States as well. Uh, in the, well, I believe it was Oregon, uh, in Oregon mall had an active shooter recently as well. Um, so it's, it's something that we kind of have to unfortunately be preparative and and to think about. And so, um, you know, Joe's going to be sharing with us some of the new, the, do you call them protocols, Joe, some of the new protocols or new.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really community education training for uh, the general population on how to respond to these types of incidents, things they can do to protect themselves. Um, if they're, you know, really one of the, the few people who in their lifetime they encounter this type of event. So, Um, We can definitely we can definitely get into that, um, you know, as we go through the episode.
0: And that's something that Joe said, you know, one of the few people. I I mean, I said that's happening more often, but they're still pretty rare and they're not going to impact everybody. But, you know, we've we've been talking about this throughout the different themes in the episodes. You have to prepare for everything and just never know what's going to happen to you wherever you are.
1: Well, I, I do want to talk about the, the incident in Texas a little bit, but just to put things in perspective here, um, on average, let's just look at the last 15 years. On average, over those 15 years, 37 people per year have been killed in active shooter incidents. Now, there have definitely been some peaks, right? We looked at the Pulse nightclub uh, earlier this year. We look at uh, you know, Sandy Hook, which was a, a you know, the incident in Newtown, Connecticut, um, You know, Virginia Tech. Obviously those, uh, had significant more fatalities, um, but relative to things like driving to work every day, driving, just driving around 32,000 people killed in car accidents last year. Um, you know, so the, the, um, the reality is the likelihood that any one individual would ever be caught in an active shooter is really, really, uh, really, really low. Um, you know, they, they attract a lot of press attention, um, And we can we can talk a little bit about how how that works um, and and how that impacts these incidents. But uh, relative to the the number of injuries, the number of people killed in these incidents, um, they're they're much uh, they're much more um, uh, they they attract much more press attention. Yeah, no, you're right.
0: They're very I mean, it's it's one of those front if they still had newspapers, it's one of those front page newspaper items that, you know, is. Is it's out a there. trending topic. It's a trend it, it is a, a trend topic. topic yeah. It gets its own hashtag. Yeah. Um
2: well but...
3: and I think the, the thing to remember too is the 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 media on that is so quick to put a label to something that they may not really understand. Um, I remember when, when we were all younger, you know, remember the, the term going postal? And it right. all came from you had disgruntled postal workers that I mean they they had a they had a this sounds terrible, but they had a specified target. Um and they were going in not to just kind of uh actively shoot up in areas, mainly, you know, most of the time it was it was their supervisor or something like that that they were specifically targeting. Um and most of the cases that we're still seeing are still really that type of targeted incident. And the media is turning around and, and saying, Well, this is an active shooter, active shooter, when when it may not be, it's still not a, it's still a shooting. It's still a horrible thing that should occur. Um, but it's not really an active shooter incident.
1: Right. And that, that's a really important point. Cause I mean, there's, there's a couple things you want to look for in an active shooter incident and, and really what differentiates them from, um, other types of shootings like a, a targeted shooting. Um, first of all, they're rapid, they unfold, um, without warning, um, that really the scale. So you're looking at, uh, a shooter who's really concerned with uh, an elevated body count. His goal is to harm, injure, kill as many people as he or she can as quickly as they can. And I'll I'll pretty much say he throughout this as we go because um, you know the vast majority, and there are some exceptions, but the vast majority of active shooters are men. Um, they are simply targeting random individuals. So there's no um, you know that they don't have a. Predetermined victim in mind, and if they do, as part of that incident, um, there are definitely you know in a true active shooter, there's going to be other casualties who are random. Uh, And lastly, um, they end usually in one of two scenarios: either the suicide of the shooter, or the the shooter being killed by uh, law enforcement or a bystander. Um, So those are really the four things that that differentiate an active shooter incident from. Um, you know, an other type of, of targeted killing or mass shooting um, that, that really differentiated from those types of incidents.
0: And do you see Joe, um, you know, is this something that is, is being done more, you know, I was thinking back to the Navy yard shooting that happened in the DC area a while ago, you know, government complexes being targeted. So that was one of those disgruntled work, but it was also targeted towards a government area. um, And, in Houston. Right. But I, the, the
1: victims there were, were random, right? Yeah. It didn't, he didn't target specific individuals in that, it, in that, at the Navy yard, he was just simply looking to, to kill as many people at the Navy yard as he can,
0: as he could. So it was more of the area and kind of same with when it happened in Houston. I mean, it was just, that was just a random area that he picked and, you know, there was,
3: yeah, I think that was actually the, the neighborhood that he lived in, okay. um, as well as where his, his law office Uh, or his place of employment was, um, and was not targeting a confined space. It was actually kind of shooting out into the the street, um, which oddly enough was kind of similar to a situation that was happening in Houston about, I want to say it was about this time last year, um, where it was somebody that had traveled over and they were walking through a neighborhood, kind of shooting at anybody, shooting at people driving by in cars and things like that, um, which are kind of still weird situations. Um, Those are not um what you call you know what you would call a normal active shooter type of event or or what what a lot of the training and a lot of the profiling is built around
0: well and it's interesting for me to i can't remember it was it was recently and i can't remember when though and that's um sorry listeners that i don't have this information at my fingertips right now but the ut austin bell tower shooting um you know was one of the ones that really turned up The amount of law enforcement training, but also expanded not just from law enforcement, but to emergency response for, you know, firefighters and for ambulances and others, you know, because that was a, a, the Bell Tower shooting went out for a while, um, but they just didn't have. You know emergency management and coordination between agencies has come a long way in in a short amount of time, but you know they didn't have all of that information and, and the partnerships there to to kind of respond to that so that's you know there was the article that I'd read it talked about just how the the ambulance services have have changed about all of that so um you know so that's interesting um you know how things have have changed around you know Dan did you have a question or I'm, okay. Again, we're along virtual, those. so we're trying to we're trying to incorporate everyone. It's hard to get cues through the Brady Bunch look that we have going on. Um,
1: Check our Twitter feed lines. if you want to see what that Brady Bunch look uh, yes. looks like. Yeah.
4: Along uh, along those lines, Eric, though, about the uh, um, change in EMS protocols, you've got. Um, fire departments across the country now learning um, tactical medic training where they're actually going into an active shooter situation and trying to save victims while the the shooting is still happening. So that's something that's changed in the last, I'd say probably about a year and a half or two years where I know locally, uh, fire departments in our area are doing that on a regular basis, training that way.
3: Well, and that that was all kind of evolution because, um, and I, I looked it up real quick. The, the UT Austin shooting was 1966. Okay. um, and Thank you, back then, I mean, that was a that was still kind of a, a what, you know, they considered a random deal. And nothing really changed until after Columbine in 99, um, when they realized that so many, so many casualties, so many there were so many victims because they weren't doing because the, the, the protocol at the time for law enforcement was we're going to step back we're going to secure the perimeter. We're going to wait till SWAT gets here. So we have, you know, bigger guns, more, more protection, things like that. Um, and then we're going to slowly approach um, that all changed. So that, I mean, that was, that was 33 years. And then, until that light bulb moment, um, and, and I guess that's a blessing that we, that there was not other incidents during that time that um, kind of forced our hand to say, no, we've got to take a different approach to this. Um, Cause even now the tech med stuff is different because, um, what we've always trained from our we have a we have a armed um, security force for our healthcare care facility. Um, what and they've even gone through active shooter training. What we've always kind of taught was, um, you know, their their goal is that that security force is not there to do anything or that that law enforcement is not there to do anything but go after that active shooter. They're not going to stop and help. They're not going to try and save your life the only thing they're doing is going after that active shooter, whatever it takes. Um, so now saying TAC med and having people coming after them and trying to secure um, and kind of take care of patients, that that's a change.
1: Yeah. Um, and it, so it, it really evolved in two phases. One was you know, changing from the police waiting outside to now the police, you know, forming into small teams and going in immediately. And now we've got the police going in immediately and then almost, you know within minutes after that the next the next evolution is now you're bringing tactical medics in with with law enforcement to to provide that immediate treatment to the injured um and so you know this over the even you know even over the last two years as we've been saying we've seen this this huge shift in the in the type of response you're gonna see at an active shooter incident
0: but that's something to that, to keep in mind as just The general population just lay people who are going out and may, you know, unfortunately end up in a situation like that, Um, because I know in San Bernardino when that shooting happened, people were confused as to why. Um, They weren't getting help at the time when law enforcement was coming through because they were going and trying to find out what shooting was going on and and trying to get an assessment of the situation. People may have been injured uh, and they were passing them by. And so it's just if we're in a situation like that and you may be injured, just know that someone's going to be coming, but it may not be the first person that you see. And, you know, those responders are going to try to let you know, but you're not their priority there's some other priority out there that they're going for, but you'll have someone that's going to come behind you soon to, uh, to help out with that. Um, Right. I know we've kind of gone over the board a little bit.
2: And that's, I think that's a good point, Eric, that I mean in any, in any emergency situation where you have a mass casualty situation, the person that comes through and triages you is probably not going to be the person that treats you. If you have a medical problem, right. They're going to get a head count. They're going to start the process that EMS goes through whether it's an active shooter, a uh, you know hurricane, or a car accident, or whatever might it might be, if, it's a, if there's more hurt people than there are medics or EMTs, they're going to have to do a triage round to figure out who needs the most attention first. So, whether you're at a masca- at a uh, an active shooter, or just some other accident that may occur, right?
1: Yeah, well, that's. It, it- if, if you don't mind, Eric, let me step back a little bit. No, that's and, what I was going to say. We've kind of skipped yeah. all over the place. And so <laughs> we're, we're like, now we're not, the police are deep in this building. Yeah, um, and yeah, so let's, so let's back like, out I'd, a
0: little bit. I'd like Joe to kind of take it. Here.
1: Um, yeah. So, so like the first thing I want to, I wanted to stress, you know, and, and this really applies to any type of situation that people may face, and it, whether it's an active shooter, a fire in a building, um, you know a little situational awareness. You, you, you look, you know, I work in an office building where people are you know, running up and down the halls, glued to their cell phones, you know, tweeting, responding to emails, not looking up to see what's going on around them, always running into people. Um, you know, one of the things I try and do is keep my head on a swivel, always be situationally aware of what's around me. Um, if I enter a space I've never been in before, try to identify the exits so that I know if something happens, whether the fire alarm goes off, whether the bad guy comes in the room, I know how, uh, to, to quickly, you know, determine what the best route out of that space is. Um, you know, always look for my lighted exit signs. Maybe that's just a habit I get into as an emergency planner, but I think that's good advice for anybody when you're in a space you're not familiar with, um, you know, so always maintain some level of situational awareness and be as prepared as you can for any type of situation. Um, try not to get too lost in in what you're doing. Not always possible, right? We're, we're all human. Uh, but, you can't you can't maintain your ears up a hundred percent of the time. Uh,
0: yeah, but but you know, to add in the the family dad flavor that you're already kind of doing that when you go out, you're trying to find out where all the uh, bathrooms are. You know where you may have to go with all that. Just add an extra an extra antenna to something that you have going on. I mean, it it may seem stressful to have to think about it, do that, but you're already kind of planning ahead for a lot of different random things. You know, my kid's been having a blowout in the car seat, no matter when you put her in there. And so as you're driving along, you have to figure out, all right, where can I pull over? Where can we get in to deal with this? Because I know something like this is going to happen. You know, just, just take those kind of steps and just add an extra level as you're going through.
1: Um, you know, and, and so the the next thing is once once you you know are situationally aware, you're going to be better recognize threats when they confront you, right? So, um, one of the things that that you'll see when you read a lot of reports about um, any type of critical incident, whether it's an active shooter, fire, or whatever, it occasionally not occasionally it does take some people um, a long, very long time to realize what's happening. They they reach a state of denial where they don't think. That the danger confronting them is real, um, and when you maintain situational awareness to what's going on around you, you're much more likely to, to not uh, to be able to overcome that that feeling quickly, and and therefore react to that uh, just as quickly. Um, and so when I when I train active shooter uh, response training to, to the staff who work in my building, um, there's there's three things that I try to impart on them, and 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 you can you know Google this. Um, DHS has put together a really great curriculum that we've modeled for my workplace, but um, those three things are run, hide and fight back. And we'll, I, I'll, I'll get into each of those in, in detail. Um, you know, the, the, the first thing I said is, you know, make sure that you can recognize the, the, the event that's happening in front of you. And um, keep in mind that it doesn't need to be an active shooter that where these three things could apply. It could be any type of violent encounter. Um, I, I, I kind of chuckle one of the things that DHS includes in their definition of active shooter is that the uh, assailants usually use firearms. Um, I have never seen an active shooter with a knife, but but you can take that run, hide and fight model um, and use it to apply to any kind of violent encounter that that may be occurring around you. He doesn't need to be armed with a firearm. If somebody comes at you, you've you've seen, uh, for some reason, Japan seems to have this a lot, um, are mass stabbings. Um, And so, you know, that's something to keep in mind as well. Um, So getting back to to run, hide and fight. Um, If you're able to get out of the area, the first thing I recommend is take the most accessible, most direct path out of the area. Attempt to get out of the building. Um, whether that's, you know, up or down the stairs to get out down the hall, whatever your goal is to put as much distance as you can between yourself and the threat. And if you walk into a room and as soon as you get in that space, you've formulated your escape plan. When you recognize that danger in front of you, you're much more likely to take that most direct path out, um, get out of there, whether or not everyone wants to come with you, you know, you need to, to, you know, your instinctual, um, reaction is usually going to be fight or flight. Um, and other people may respond differently. If your instincts tell you to run, you should run, um, leave your belongings. So if you're carrying a coat, a bag, you know, whatever's in your hands, you want to drop it. And for a couple different reasons, first of all, um, that is going to slow you down, right? So if you're carrying a book bag, it, it's just going to weigh you down. Your coat weigh you down. It's going to um, make it more difficult to open or close doors if you need to grab somebody and say, hey, you know, you're coming with me. Um, and, and lastly, you know, if you have stuff in your hands, as you're leaving this, this place, whatever this is, whether it's a mall, whether it's a movie theater, whether it's your office, um, you may encounter law enforcement running in. And if you have something in your hands, you know, I've got a cell phone in my hand, I've got, um, you know, piece whatever I've got, law enforcement is going to need to take their eyes off what they should be focusing on, which is the armed threat, and quickly assess, all right, show me your hands. And so by having your hands, um, nothing in them, having them ideally raised above your head, um, you know, responding law enforcement immediately knows you're not a threat. Um, I mentioned help others if you can, whether that's verbally saying, you know, get out of here, go the other way, don't go in there, um, you know, or physically grabbing somebody and saying, Hey, you're coming with me. That might be enough. Just that jolt from, from pulling them for them to recognize the danger that they're in, uh, and get out. Um, if you do encounter law enforcement, follow their direction. They're going to tell, they're going to be yelling at you. Um, uh, it's just part of the response, you know, show me your hands. What did you see? Where do you go? uh if you can provide law enforcement any kind of information that's great so they may they're going to want to know where the shooter was what type of weapon he had if you're able to recognize that um how many shooters are there and we've seen some of these incidents that have, that have involved multiple shooters uh that we talked to earlier about the San Bernardino shooting and once you get out of that space you know call 911 if you're able to ideally your phone's been in your pocket the whole time um you know, you're able to pull it out only when it's safe for you to do so you never want to compromise your safety or the safety of those people around you to make that phone call uh, but if you're able to call 911 do so immediately tell the dispatchers you know where you are what the situation is and then they will determine what the appropriate response is um, so that that really gets at the heart of run it you know it, the goal here is just put as much distance between yourself and the threat as you can so. The, the second thing – oh, go ahead,
0: Eric. I was going to say, you know, so you've run, you've gotten out of there, uh, and this is where having some sort of kit in your car, if you're possible, if you're out of your house or you're somewhere, especially if you got your kid with you, as you said, you may have to leave your bag because you may not be near the stroller or you can't grab the stroller or take it with you if you have kids of that age. Um, you know, for, for all of us in the room, we've all got those that uh, – well – Robin may have older ones where he doesn't have to carry a diaper bag around anymore, No, but he's got enough triathlon gear that he's going to have to take that with him too. um,
3: I'm not taking my bike,
0: (laughs) but you know, you may not be able to grab that gear with you to go. Um, You know, you may have to leave it behind or you may not be able to get it because it's noisy. You've got the toys in there or something. I don't know. So this is where having some sort of kit still kind of held in reserve in your car so that when you do get out and you do get through the situation, you can give something to your your child to help calm them down because it's going to be traumatic as hell for me. It's going to be even even as traumatic for, for my child as well. And so you want to make sure that you can do something to, you know, calm them down as you're calming yourself down and kind of bring things back to normal.
1: So um, you know if if you're unable to 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 run excuse me or basically you've run as far as you can go in this particular situation, you need to look for other options. And the next reasonable option is to hide. Um, You'll depending on your work environment, you'll see this called a lot of different things. You know, take cover, um, shelter in place, lockdown. Every uh, many work environments, especially office environments, government facilities, you know, have different terms that they use. Um, but really here, the, the goal is to make yourself as small, silent and invisible to the shooter as you can. So um, you want to uh, obviously get out of the shooter's view. Uh, any barrier that you can put between yourself and the shooter is ideal uh, and the best barrier in this type of situation is uh, something that the shooter is not going to be able to easily get through, like a locked door, um, a pile of furniture, barricade, uh, you know, anything that's going to prevent the shooter from directly accessing uh, victims. Because what these active shooter incidents have shown is, right, that I, I mentioned earlier, they they happen very quickly. Usually they're over within about 10 minutes at, at the, on the long end. Um, and the, the goal here is to kill as many people as you can. So um, the, the shooters typically know that law enforcement is responding. And not only are they responding quickly, but they're responding in mass. Um, and so the, the police response is going to be overwhelming. And so their goal within that very narrow window to kill as many people as they can they're not going to sit there and try to, you know, shoot through door locks. They're they're not going to um, try to, you know, tear down that barricade that you've built. Um, they're going to look for easily accessible victims. So any type of barrier that you can put between yourself and the shooter is ideal. Um, but you know, if that's not an option, look for other barriers. You know, um, if you are outdoors, you may have something as you know, simple as a tree, a wall. Um, you know, uh, a bush, obviously some of those aren't going to stop a bullet, but they're going to make you invisible to the shooter and make him or her less likely to fire in that direction. So you want to get out of the shooter's view, uh, view. um, get, uh, if, like I said, if you can get in a locked door, um, you know, we, in my office environment, we tell staff, you know, if we're going to, we're going to put out an information telling them, you know, close and lock your office doors, move, you know, move into the interior spaces of your office, um, once all those office doors start locking, though, let's say you're out in a hallway or you're in, you know, you're in the concourse of the mall and, you know, they start dropping gates down. Look for those other places you can hide, like the the, the, the um, meeting rooms, bathrooms, um, you know, the, the corridors of those malls where the maintenance workers go. There's something that's going to get you out of sight, um, ideally a place that's not going to trap you, Um You know, not going to restrict your options for movement so that if you do need to get out of that space, uh, you can do so. Um, You know, ideally, you should um, remain in that location unless it becomes unsafe. Um, But, you know, you want to have multiple options wherever you end up. So once you get in that space, you, again, want to make yourself small, silent and invisible. So lock the door if you're able to um, barricade that door with uh, that that door that, you know, with furniture, put a chair under the doorknob, put a desk in front of the door or something like that. Um, silence your cell phone. If you've got a TV in the space, mute the TV or turn it off. Any source of, excuse me, any source of noise you want to minimize, to, to really make it look like nobody's home in that space. And then obviously remain quiet. So, you know, no conversations, you know, do your best to, to not, um, do anything to attract the attention of the shooter.
0: And then now, if you I was ahead. going to say, Joe, you were talking about going to places to hide in your finding place. And if you're separated from your family, this is also why it's important. You always kind of, at least I always kind of joke, where did we park? Do you remember where we parked is, you know, knowing like putting something out there like that for you with your spouse or with your kids so they kind of have an idea if you do get separated they they will hopefully know to hide. and you'll all be possibly in someplace different but you know where a marshalling point may be later you know so you can try to find each other is it something to something to try to keep in mind when you're you're going into large i'm i mean i'm personally think of like a mall situation um right. you know a, a case like that where everyone can go
3: Well, the other thing to remember on that, too, is, is, you know, kind of that basic tenet of preparedness with communication is having somebody that's outside of the area. Um, And I mean, outside of like your region that you can contact that can serve as almost like a third point in case, you know, you're trying to text your wife or or here's our we got separated. Here's what's going on. And those those um, communication nodes are down. You have the ability now to text somebody, you know, over in California and just say, hey, we're, you know, let the wife know that I'm okay. Exactly. Uh, another point of communication, and Joe, you mentioned in the run part, when you get to a safe point, you call nine one one. If you're barricaded, keeping yourself silent, a lot of jurisdictions now implement a text to nine one one. That's where you silence your phone, and that that step comes in handy. You start texting information out to nine one one, just like a phone call.
1: Right. Yeah. Call if you can. Text if you can't. Um, and that's something that yeah. should be
0: popping up in more jurisdictions over the next few years as part of the E911, um, not necessarily retrofit, but upgrade for a lot of the 911 systems. So that's a good idea, Rob.
1: Yeah, we're, we're fortunate here in the, the D.C. area to have uh, a lot of the jurisdictions have that capability. So it's it's definitely beneficial, something to keep in mind, and you definitely want to know if your jurisdiction does has that capability, especially in this type of scenario. Um, so the last thing, if if you run, you hide. Um, the last thing is is to fight back as a last resort. Uh, and this is a scenario where your life is in immediate danger. Um, the you know, the shooter is directly confronting you. Um, any uh, you you have two options at this point. You can you can really wait for your bullet, um, or you can fight back to save your own life. And and the thing to keep in mind is there's no rules. In this scenario so um you know you need to do what you can to protect yourself um and you know what in an office environment i am one there hell are, of a slap
0: fighter just so you know yeah i can i can, I can beat down pretty well
1: let me so let me know how that rules are just right out the window yeah yeah let me know how that works in this scenario uh, so <laughs> You know, the, the, the things to keep in mind are what are um, what are your options when you're fighting back? Um, obviously, you know, there are things that you can uh, in just about any place you are that you can throw at the shooter. Um, any of anybody who's used a firearm before knows that if somebody's throwing something at your head, Um, it's going to cause you to duck, uh, lose your balance. You're going to respond to that. And so if you can throw something at the shooter, you can then use that as an opportunity to, um, you know, have them lower the weapon and gain the upper hand in that way. Uh, But you want to act as aggressively as you can. Uh, You know, if you're in an office environment, there are things like scissors, fire extinguishers on the wall. Uh, And fire extinguishers are great because, um, you know, they're uh, not only are they heavy and they're metal, um, but they're full of uh, dry chem powder, and you can, you know, you know, pretend the pretend the shooter's a, a fire. Pull the pin, shoot the powder at them. That's immediately going to cause them to start choking. Um, and and then obviously you've got this like ten pound weight uh, that you can you can use as a weapon. I believe
0: James um, Bond used those in one of his last uh, movies to be able to provide a smoke screen to escape an active shooter <laughs> situation within a courtroom.
2: Yeah, they also uh, well if you've ever encountered super smart sharks underwater you <laughs> can use this
1: to escape. I have no idea what those references are, but I'll have to Google that. We'll put that in the show notes. How about that?
0: I'll share the DVDs with you. or Do I need to give you VHS? Uh,
1: I need I need VHS. That's the only way these things get done. Um, Sorry, Joe. Please so, go forward. I was going to say, we're talking about fighting for our lives here, and you're, you're we're, we've digressed to VHS. Um, yeah, so, you know, recognize what those weapons of opportunity are that are around you, act as aggressively as you can commit to your attack. Uh, you know, once you, once you start aim for the vulnerable parts on, on the shooter. So you're looking for the throat, the groin, um, you know, those, the eyes, anything that is going to quickly disable, uh, and, and, you know, don't stop until the shooter has been neutralized. Um, you know, so really, you know, that's, that's the key there is just commit to those actions. And, and this is a scenario where you're fighting for your life. So you don't want to worry about the repercussions. You know, if, uh, you know, when I do the training, I always tell people if, if we, if, if law enforcement comes in the room and the shooters in 10 different pieces, well, that's on him. He picked the wrong group of people to mess with. Um, and, and the same thing applies here. You know, you're fighting for your life. You don't want to worry about the repercussions in this situation. For so, just
0: getting the short version of your training, I would like to take your full version of the training, Joe.
1: <laughs> there's videos, there's photos. It's pretty entertaining, and it's actually co-taught by me and a, and a federal police officer. So, nice. um, Do
3: we you get to beat up on a doll or something. Or?
1: No, we uh, we take volunteers from the audience. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> so. Um, You know, those those three things, if you can remember run, hide and fight, um, those three things are going to greatly increase your chance of of survival in these types of incidents.
4: Uh, And I know there's a um, there's a couple of videos, too, out there about that. I think one was done in in your area, Robin, uh, run, hide and fight by. Houston, was it Houston Police Department or something? Yeah, it was
3: the, it was one of the Houston Homeland Security grants. If you ever see the, the Run, Hide, Fight video where the guy comes out almost looking like Terminator with black sunglasses on and on black tactical clothing and all this stuff, that stuff that originated from Houston and that also kind of got into the if you see something, say something uh, campaign as well um, to making sure that we're, you know, if you, if you see something that's kind of out of the ordinary, if somebody, and I know that would trying not to get off into the second amendment talk or anything, but looking at the open carry States, if you see somebody that's looking menacing or you see somebody that's, you know, walking around carrying a weapon that doesn't look like they should be, um, say something to law enforcement, um, that gets kind of now into the prevention side of kind of being proactive and, and not waiting until it turns into something that could be an active shooter situation.
0: And that's, that's a good kind of, segue that i have for you robin you know joe's given us kind of what we do to prepare and and if something happens in your in your workplace or if you're out and about you know these are some tactics that that dhs the department of homeland security is going kind to of put out there with with help from a lot of local law enforcement a lot of training and a lot of education and research has kind of gotten gone into that and how you kind of prepare that message but as as someone who's you know works within law enforcement and within the healthcare facilities the people who would you know the the people who would treat individuals that were injured in a in a shooting or some sort of situation, what kind of training or integration do you have with with what's going on with that law enforcement training? I mean, you know, how cohesive of a of a matrix is it, and from your point of view?
3: Well, from a from a healthcare emergency management standpoint, um, a lot of what we do is supporting law enforcement. Um, helping identifying areas to train where we can drill. Um, trying to be realistic about the training while understanding that you can't walk into a, walk into a busy ER with an off-duty police officer um, with a blanks in their gun and and have them fire off a couple shots just to get that realism in there and get you know because that that becomes just the training itself becomes traumatic. Um, we're actually doing a a um, drill exercise series with us with uh for a number of our ambulatory clinics uh across the region that um we're just taking security and they come in there and we're kind of helping them run these exercises where the the head of security training walks through this same thing the run hide fight um takes them through that they run a scenario where it's an individual with a fully rubber can't shoot a thing it's just a big piece of rubber that looks like a gun tries to walk them through that scenario. And even then that becomes a, it can become an emotional experience for those people involved because then they, then it becomes real. Then they start putting themselves in that situation. Um, So the training is kind of, you you have to ease people into this and you have to make sure that you're, you're training wisely around um, being able to provide emotional support on the backside Um, and, and making sure that, that you're giving them, you know, like this DHS train, you don't want to just scare them and say, look, here's, you know, this this bad person could walk in at any time with a weapon. You should be prepared. You have to give them those tools. You have to be able to say, here are your options. Now let's walk through these when it's a it's a normal nice day, not when we have somebody run in that, that's causing you panic.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of different angles and a lot of different um, pieces that have to go together. Because, I mean, I just think of... And I I don't mean this this to sound the way that it is, but in my mind, I kind of think of the healthcare facilities as kind of right of bang, like bangs already happened, you know, they're going in there and how can they incorporate into the, um, you know, into the situation and make things, you know, better by getting the people that need the help, the help that they need. You know what I mean? Like sometimes that is kind of an afterthought, like getting healthcare involved in some of this stuff. You just think of transporting there and that's it. Not that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in in the treatment of these individuals and making sure that they all don't go to one hospital. In
3: in looking at that situation and then you look at, it's not always just the, You know, when we start now, we're kind of diverging. I think Dan posted this earlier. Are we going to are we going to talk about kind of the the terrorism uh, angle of this? Um, It's not always it may not always be the active shooter thing, but we're still looking at it from a healthcare standpoint. We're still looking at a mass casualty event. Um, and, And we're really looking at kind of two two things going on during this and and. Um, we've been pushing this pretty hard. Uh, I don't know if y'all know this, that Houston's coming out is going to be the host of the Super Bowl this year. um We're probably not playing it, I but say, we're not gonna, playing you know, it. But you're definitely still going to be it. here. <laughs> uh, and and part of part of our charge is to make sure that we're ready for for any kind of event, whether it's the shooter sure, it's it's you know uh, an industrial accident or things like this. This is something that healthcare has to be prepared for all the time. Um, so we look at really taking that all hazards approach to what are the, what are the events out there? What are our objectives in front of us? And it's patient care. It's always patient care, but then how do we support those things? And and the things that we would want to tell parents and, and family members as they're coming in is that um, we've got to create a space. We, we separate people out. We call it, we create what are called family reception centers. So if your loved one is, injured in an incident, whether it's a, a multiple vehicle crash or, um, an active shooter event or something like that, where they end up in the ER, this sounds bad. We don't want you there. Um, you, you create an obstacle, you create an extra re- you, you're not a resource. You're an obstacle now to the, that care team that's in there trying to provide care. Um, so we try and keep Uh, or try and set up family reception centers where we can provide you the support services. We can provide you the information of what's going on um, and make sure that you have access to resources um, so you're not just kind of hanging out in the ER, you know, trying to get information from 35 different people. We can give you one point of contact and a safe space to be.
0: And this is where that coordination between all of the responders in an area, you know, the emergency management, the emergency operations center, getting all that coordination together and then getting that information out to the general public. And this goes ties into something that we talked about in our very first episode about being prepared um, is that, you know, the more that you know, the better that the response effort from, from responders can be that, you know, not to go to that hospital and the clog up the parking lot, clog up the roadways going there, that, you know, that there's going to be a different area going out there. So preparing yourself and knowing generally what could happen in a situation, I think is, is a very important thing, um, for just the general public to understand uh, for, well, for a lot of this think, stuff to take um, the mystery out of I mean we're not giving away any trade secrets to emergency response but just you know taking some of the mystery out for people so that they know things are going to be going on and there is a plan in place
3: and I think um, Frank actually when, when you could hear him last, last episode Frank actually said it best about making sure that you're listening to the official word that comes out in these type of situations there's going to be Multiple reports in your phone. Even if you're just you're just a regular, you know, don't work in the work in the industry of emergency response or anything. If you have news alerts set up on your phone, they're going to be going like crazy. Of, of hey, here's what's going on. We have this information. We have this information. As every channel kind of competes yeah, right. to get that information, um, and then when you have the the citizen reporter, um, but listen for that official news feed. Um, you know, if it's from the hospital system trying to send that out. That's going to end up going through that joint information center and being pushed out through the local office of emergency management or state office or you know law enforcement. Those are the those are the channels you need to listen to, and those are the ones that are going to give you the information that are actionable items to say, hey, if you're missing your loved one, you need to call this line, and we'll we'll get you with somebody that can um, help you match back up to them. Or you know if you know that they went to this facility please show up here and we'll direct you to the right place to go um, as opposed to just kind of, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to show up wherever. Um, you know, and I know I remember the hospital system in the DC area and, and down here in Houston, you know, in, in our region um, we have something like 67 hospitals um, in, in what's the, the Metro Houston community. So if somebody said, Oh, well, your, your loved one went to the hospital, yeah. which one? Um, so it's making sure that you're getting the right information that you can be actionable on.
0: Oh, that's, a, that's important to know. And important to keep in mind as you, you know, you're thinking about the situation and tying in some of the stuff that Joe said, um, you know, we're coming to the end of our time here and, you know, we're trying to be, trying to be better, uh, stewards of our listeners time, but we do appreciate, and we have so much information to share that if we go over again, we go over a little bit, we're fine with that, but you know, um, uh, I'll start by first saying thanks to Robin for joining us and, and, you know, tying into the disaster dads. He is, he is one of the disaster dads. He just isn't on all the time because getting six of us together is hard enough. Um, yeah to coordinate so you know he'll be back he's going to be he's going to be with us bring, from now bring me on
3: whenever i'm i'm happy to be on whenever
0: yeah we're going to get him and his kids are all <laughs> independent from him right now so he can he can join us much easier when he's not running his triathlon so um again really really happy to have you on and it's always good to to see you and talk to you about this um i also want to thank joe for for sharing some of the dhs protocols and some of the um some of the run hide fight um, you know, training information. Cause it's, we all don't go through that training, but it's something that I think we all need to keep in mind. Um, just add that extra layer of, you know, of situational awareness as you're going into a, um, a crowded room or you're going into a restaurant or you're going into, uh, going into the mall. Um, I mean, uh, this is this you know the disaster dads we all have that dad kind of vibe and we take that in and see where we can park the stroller or how can we walk through places or where's my kid going to go run to so you're already kind of taking in a lot more than you expect just actively try to take in a little extra to add that um you know the personal situational awareness and understanding of what's going to be going on and what's going to be happening um so
3: the the other thing to remember too eric is that like all these other topics when y'all talked about car seats and making sure, you know, you can call the fire department and get some help with detection and to in that reach out to law enforcement. If your office building or, or whoever it is, yeah. doesn't do y'all don't do active shooter training, reach out to law enforcement and say, Hey, can you come in and, and come train us on this? Um, they may not be the ones that do it, but but they'll help you find somebody to come in and and, and do that training for you.
4: Yeah, just to, yeah. just to hop on that real quick, the FBI does do that. My wife' uh, organization has had several um, active shooter trainings with the FBI. So check the FBI office in your location, see if uh, they'll do it for you.
0: No, and that's that goes into the if there isn't someone in your office doing it, be that be that beacon of uh, emergency management in your office. Be that person who gets something going there. So don't be afraid to get that get that started. So uh, some things to take take away from this is that you need to. Uh, you know, understand where you are. Understand the situations that you're in. Um, you know, if you have a chance, we'll have the links in our show notes as well. But you know, uh, take a look at the run hide fight run uh, run hide fight protocols that DHS has out there. Um, you know, it's a uh, it's a very simple mantra that can that can help you out when you need it. Um, again, hopefully, most people don't have to uh, uh, deal with this kind of situation, but it is something that we should all be aware of and just prepare ourselves if we run into anything. Um, uh so you know again i really want to thank the the dads for joining us i want to thank all of our listeners and i really want to thank robin for joining us on uh, episode here, five here um it's you know it's it's nice to go and expand some of our our issues and get a little deep and and add a add a subject matter expert every now and then and so we we'll appreciate having robin what are you gonna
2: do that
0: yeah we'll get I carry there, on the bromance
2: these. yeah that's for next episode <laughs> you yeah, and um now next episode of space weather don't forget that
0: yeah we are going to be bringing we'll, space we'll, weather don't worry.
2: we're going to get a romulan on here
0: <laughs> he's not a romulan he's a vulcan get it right they look similar but they're different um so we're going to have a discussion on that next but again thanks to everyone for listening um robin you know we uh we started it last week with our deputy chief springer to uh do the tagline and if you could uh, send us out we'd really appreciate it and um You know, I think I think you know what it is because Dan did come up with it. So, uh, you know, I appreciate I appreciate everyone joining us and uh, Robin, if you mind.
3: Absolutely. Apologies to Dave Shield. We'll hopefully get you on next time. Uh, We panic so you don't have to.
0: All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye.